0: I really doubt there's anybody here today who doesn't have or didn't have at some point in time a regret. And that's what brings our scripture alive for today as we continue thinking about hope from heaven, <coughs> climbing the ladder. And just that phrase probably tips you off about the story that we're going to read from Genesis, the 28th chapter. Genesis 28, chapter, 20th chapter beginning at verse 1. Let's hear this word of the Lord. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. And Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there and that when he blessed him he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to and Aram, Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, and the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! "'This is none other than the house of God. "'This is the gate of heaven.' "'Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone "'he had placed under his head "'and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. "'He called that place Bethel, "'though the city used to be called Luz. "'Then Jacob made a bow, saying, "'If God will be with me and will watch over me "'on this journey I am taking, "'and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear "'so that I return safely to my father's household,' Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the movie Forrest Gump, Forrest had a lifelong friend named Ginny. There's a scene where both of them are grown and Ginny is just coming out of a lifestyle of sex and drugs and all kinds of difficulty and and they're walking down a dirt road when all of a sudden they come upon the house in which Ginny was raised, a house in which she experienced untold abuse. As they came to the house, her face was contorted with all kinds of anger and hatred and and she reached reached down and she picked up a stone and she flung the stone at the house, hit the side and chipped off a little bit of paint. She leaned over and picked up another rock and she threw it and it went through a window already cracked and smashed it. She picked up another and another and another and another and she threw them all until finally she fell exhausted to the ground. Forrest looked down at her with pity and said, I guess sometimes you just don't have enough rocks. There was more to what Forrest said than I think Forrest even realized. It's obvious she could have thrown rocks all day and and never have knocked down the house, but but there's a deeper meaning underneath all of that. Throwing stones would never abolish the abuse or demolish the effects of it. Throwing stones would would never get rid of her torment and her agony and, and her misery and her anguish. It would never, never get rid of it all. And I think we've all been there at some point in time. We've all thrown the stones. We've thrown them at situations. We've thrown them at people. We've thrown them at memories. And yet it's never relieved the agony, destroyed the misery. It's never gotten rid of our anguish. It's never eased our our torment. And so I think Jenny's question is ours when throwing stones won't cut it what do we do how do we handle our regrets seems to me there's no greater person to study than Jacob himself and so we take a look at Jacob this morning Jacob after all had a history of regret Let's review the backstory of Jacob's life. It goes all the way back to his birth. Isaac and Rebecca were the proud parents of of twin sons, Esau and Jacob. The firstborn and heir to the family fortune was Esau. Jacob was the second. And the two brothers were as different as night and day. Esau was the gifted athlete, the outdoorsman, the huntsman. Jacob was the brilliant student, the soft-hearted, compassionate child. Esau was first on the track, Jacob was first on the test. Esau brought animals home for food, and Jacob brought animals home for pets. Esau, well, he was like Sylvester Stallone, and Jacob was like John Boy Walton. And you throw into that mix the fact that Isaac was proud of Esau, and Rebekah was proud of Jacob, and in this volatile situation, the stones were bound to fly. Eventually, Rebekah and Jacob conspired, as you recall, to steal the inheritance that belonged to Esau. So when Isaac, now old and blind and near the end of his life, thought he was giving the blessing to Esau, he was giving it to Jacob. When Esau discovered that this had taken place, he vowed he would kill Jacob as soon as their father had died. This was a dysfunctional family at its best, or... At its worst. So let's look at Jacob. Certainly, even in his best light, Jacob was a sorry scoundrel. Somebody said he's the type of person who would give the shirt off somebody else's back to help you out. He deceived his father. He defrauded his brother. And to this day, the descendants of Esau and Jacob are still going after each other. Jacob had everything he wanted, and yet nothing that he wanted. And I think we know all about that kind of regret. We've all had regrets. We have been busy throwing stones, and throwing stones is familiar to us. We've thrown them. We've probably been hit by some that others have thrown at us. Here today and listening online are perhaps those who are victims of abuse who know all about Jenny's Jenny's feelings in Forrest Gump. And we all know about about marriages and relationships where the primary means of communication is is stone-throwing, where each other knows exactly what to throw and what to say and when to say it to hurt and harm the other. And then, too, there are young children and older children who know just what to say, what stone to throw to get underneath mom and dad's skin. And certainly there are parents who rack their children through neglect or favoritism or abuse. Just think about our youth in epidemic proportions who are distraught and depressed and hopeless because they've been bullied employees and employers throw stones church members throw stones even pastors have thrown stones and then as we saw in the video there's there's all those things we regret never doing never saying i really think jacob is not alone we too live with a history of regret And the problem with regrets is they just never seem to go away. They're they're always there. We know we did wrong. We know we failed to do something. We hurt somebody or we could have helped somebody not get hurt. And all of that immobilizes us. It it, it paralyzes us. And it's like a little pebble in our shoe. It doesn't bother us enough to stop and try to get rid of it, and yet it's always there and it causes pain and, and hurt and anguish. And maybe at some point, like Jacob, you've even tried flee. So back to Jacob. Night fell, and he laid his head on a rock to sleep. All he wanted and all he needed was a good night's sleep, but you see, the problem is he had forgotten that there was a heaven to recognize in the midst of all of this. So even as he slept, God sent a dream. There was a ladder with messengers, angels, it says, that came from heaven down to earth and climbed from earth back up to heaven again. Heaven came down to earth and God transformed Jacob and his future. He redefined everything for him. But here's the thing. Notice that that God opened access not to a saint, but to a scoundrel. You talk about hope. Jacob now knew he was not being pursued by Esau, but by God. Not by vengeance, but by grace. And isn't that just like God? He even pursues us. And where you are right now may well be the very place God wants to meet you. No matter what you've done, no matter how many stones you've thrown, no matter how much regret you harbor, no matter how much bitterness you hold, Jesus has not crossed you off his list, and he never will. The ladder is always there. This is the season of Advent. This is Emmanuel, God, with us. He is here. Jesus is the one who said, John 1 51, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus on the cross is our ladder to heaven. He's the one in whom we have the access. So we need not fear. We need not live in regret, fearfully fleeing into the night. Jesus, Jesus is involved with our lives. He is present with us. And he meets us as God met Jacob, even when and where we least expect it. And when he meets us, he has a message for us. Just like he had for Jacob. Verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, He was giving Jacob a heritage to remember. First thing he did was remind him of all the promises made to his father, and he says, those promises are still yours. It doesn't matter about the inheritance. It's my inheritance that matters, and you still have it. And then God bound himself even further to Jacob, this treacherous fugitive. I wonder if Jacob was beginning to understand that there was an alternative to his lifestyle. God was being true to his word, faithful as always to his promises, just like we so often sing, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. And yet amazingly, God goes even beyond that. The dream did not resurrect a shameful past, but raised up a shining future. Verse 15, he extends a new threefold promise to Jacob. Not only did he have all the promises of old, but now here's a new one in three parts. First, verse 15, I am with you. Heaven will stay with him wherever, whenever, forever. And that wonderful promise of God was given to to Jeremiah. It was given to Israel It was given to Jesus and through Jesus, the Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus was ascending into heaven, He said, Lo, I am with you always, whenever, wherever, forever. Even in our flight and in our exile, even in our stone throwing, God will not abandon us. In Jesus, heaven came down to prove it. The second new promise was, I will watch over you wherever you go. Literally, it says, God will keep Jacob wherever, whenever, forever. He will keep him. And what a contrast that is to the pagan gods all around the Israelites. Pagan gods were loyal and faithful, and, but they were territorial. The promise was only good to to those within their boundaries, to those who obeyed them, to those who did what they wanted them to do. But God promises His presence to Jacob wherever and whenever, forever. God is not only with us, He keeps us safe, sound, secure. It's His promise. He can't be untrue to Himself. And the third new promise, I will bring you back to this land. Jacob will go home again safely. The displaced will have a place. The fugitives will be freed from themselves and from others. That's not what Jacob deserved, is it? He didn't deserve any of that. But then isn't that just like God? He doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, at Calvary, the Father put upon Jesus all that we deserve so He could put on us all that Jesus deserved. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Paul said, He who did not spare His own Son, will He not also give us all things with Him? Not some things, but all things with Him. That's our heritage and what a heritage it is. It's ours. So God got through to Jacob. After heaven came down and Jacob woke up, he he knew everything would be different from now on. He was different. Now he knew there was a holiness to revere. Verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven and so we placed the stone which had been his pillow as the foundation of an altar to God and called the place Bethel, which means house of God. do you catch the, catch the significance of that? Jacob stopped throwing stones and started building with stones. The stones went from destruction to construction, from weapons to... To worship. It was no longer an issue of, of fearing another man, but of revering God. And Jacob's lifelong struggle to try to overtake Esau ended when he himself was overtaken by God. So Bethel became a very special place, a permanent place of remembrance and recommitment to God. In fact, years later, God needed to remind Jacob again in Genesis 31:13, he says to him, "I'm the God of Bethel." In other words, remember Jacob, remember what you promised at Bethel. Remember what I promised. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a bow to me. So now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. I promised you could go home, so, so now it's time. Go, I'm the God who is faithful. You've promised, and I've promised. Bethel always marks a new beginning. So let us never forget our Bethels those times and places when, when heaven comes down and God graces us with his presence and encourages us with his promises Sarah Adams wrote some immortal words in a hymn though like the wanderer the sun gone down darkness be over me My rest a stone. Yet in my dreams I'd be nearer, my God, to Thee. There let the way appear, steps unto heaven, all that Thou sendest me in mercy given, angels to beckon me, nearer, my God, to Thee. Then, with my waking thoughts, bright with Thy praise, out of my stony griefs, Bethel I raise. So by my woes to be nearer my God to thee when we relinquish regrets to God we can move on with life we can take all the emotion and the anguish the misery, the pain, the bitterness and build it into an altar and offer it to God and whenever we do that it will be a new beginning God will deal with us. He'll deal with the relationships. He excels in doing so, and we too will be able to say, how awesome. This is none other than the house of God. This, my life, my situation, is the gate of heaven. You see, some amazing things happen when we build altars. We realize that instead of throwing stones, there's now an honor to render. Jacob promised to let God be God to do things God ways to use the altar at Bethel but notice something significant. He said he would pay a tithe of all God gave him. Earlier he exacted an oath to try to get what he thought he needed to live this life and now he says everything you give me I'm going to give it back. It was no longer what he got but what he gave. And he would give to God. He yielded. He reoriented his life. One author graphically wrote it this way. Jacob attempted to dominate others in order to control his unknown future. But now he adopts a different approach to the future. He binds himself to a God he cannot control, trusting that God will be faithful to the promise God has freely made to him. The future is not thereby totally determined. It remains open to all manner of unforeseeable events. But whatever may happen, it will occur within the covenantal horizon of God's promise and Jacob's vow. I think it was just a foreshadowing of the Apostle Paul. As Saul, he had dedicated his life to wiping out Christians, going against the faith. But at the stoning of Stephen, his heart was strangely touched. And shortly thereafter, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, struck him down and claimed him. And Paul yielded his life. He turned his life over. He served the Lord and was able to write, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And come to think of it, isn't that a description of Jesus? He took the stones which put him on a cross and built a throne for heaven. He took the stones of a tomb and built an altar of victory. We began by asking the question, when throwing stones won't cut it, what do we do? The answer is, when throwing stones won't cut it, build the stones into an altar. That's what a man by the name of George Matheson did. As a young man, he was all set to marry the love of his life But shortly before their wedding date, she learned that he was going blind and she jilted him, left him all alone. Twenty years later, on the day of his sister's wedding, he wrote, Something had happened to me which was known only to myself and which caused me the most severe mental suffering. This hymn was the fruit of that suffering. It was the quickest bit of work I ever did in my life. I had the impression of having it dictated to me by some inward voice rather than working it out myself. I'm quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes and equally sure that it never received at my hands any retouching or correction. I have no natural gift of rhythm. All the other verses I have written are manufactured articles. This came like a day spring from on high. It was a Bethel for him. And what was the hymn that he wrote? O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, That in thine ocean depth its flow may richer, fuller be. O life that follows all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that that morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory, dead, and from the ground their blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Rather than throwing stones. George Matheson built them into an altar. He didn't know what his future held, but he knew who held his future. He trusted In his trustworthy God. So you have regrets. What will you do? Throw stones? Or build an altar? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Lord God, We admit the pain that we have felt and the regrets that we have carried. Things done and said, things not done and not said. In fact, we regret the times we've tried to bury it because we can't. All we can do is offer it up to you. Lord, we want to claim your promises this morning. And so, through your Holy Spirit, stir our hearts, shake us up, speak to us what we need to hear. May we rest in the love that will not let us go. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.